Good morning, church. Pastor Larry, thank you. I don't take lightly the fact that you've allowed me to stand before people that you love and in a, in a pulpit that you view as very holy. I don't take this lightly. But I, I get to talk to you this morning. I'm so happy about that fact. And yesterday I got to explore your lovely area. This is my first time in Castro Valley. I've heard of Three Crosses Church for 20 years, but I, I, I walked uh, Lake Chabot yesterday and met with some area pastors, and this was delightful, so I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> some years ago, a missionary was passing out New Testaments on the street. They, the gospel had just been translated into another language, and so he was distributing New Testaments, and he came across a rather hardened-looking man sitting on a curb who was rolling his own cigarettes, taking some paper and making his own cigarettes and smoking them on the curb. And the missionary came by and said, Sir, can I give you a New Testament? And the guy says, Mister, I have no idea what book you've got there, but you need to know if you give me one of those, I'm just going to tear out the pages and use them to roll my cigarettes. Created a bit of, a, a bit of a dilemma for that missionary, but he thought and said, will you make me a deal? Will you promise me that you'll read every page before you smoke it? <laughs> the guy said, deal. The missionary didn't see that man for 15 years when the missionary went to a conference, was sitting in the back, and up front was this guy that he thought he recognized, and sure enough, he started in and told the story. I was, I was sitting on a curb. I was rolling my own cigarettes. This missionary comes by and offers me a book. We make a deal. I kept my part of the deal. I read every page. I smoked Matthew. <laughs> I smoked Mark. I smoked Luke, but when I got to John 3.16, I couldn't smoke anymore. For God so loved this world, do you know it? That he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And once again, the gospel of Jesus Christ entered into a human heart, just as has happened here at Three Crosses in recent weeks, once again, the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ that changes lives. See, if you've got a bulletin outline, and if you're a note taker, I'm going to drive you crazy by how fast I go today. But the opening introductory statement is very simply this, the gospel of Jesus changes lives. Is, or is life changing. Amen? Recently, in an area of the world where you cannot meet publicly in the name of Jesus, there was a secret Bible study taking place, women fully garbed in the Muslim garb, and one of our international workers, we can't call them missionaries in a place like that, was having a Bible study with these ladies. And as they were going through this study, <clears throat> One of the women said, excuse me, she backed up. One of the Muslim women backed up the conversation and said, excuse me to the missionary. I, I must not have understood your language correctly. You're just learning our language. I must not have understood it. You, you, do you realize that you said that I could be forgiven of everything that I've ever done, that Jesus would forgive me? Certainly I misunderstood you. No, that's, that's exactly what I said. Jesus is able to forgive of everything. The concept of forgiveness had never entered into that woman's life, had never come to her in her existence. Sometimes we've forgotten how beautiful and life-changing the gospel is. 
But not everyone, the sad fact is, not everyone has access to this gospel. This message that some of us take for granted, not everyone has access to this, such as the story I just told. Do you realize that if you wanted to find out about who Jesus was or get a copy of the Bible or have access to some form of the message of Christ, that here in the United States, you'd have to knock on a door every 15 minutes for an hour and a half and you could find somebody. It would vary from region to region in the country, but you could find somebody who could tell you about Christ. Knocking on a door every 15 minutes for an hour and a half. In post-modern Europe, post-Christian Europe, where it's only 2% Christian, even, <coughs> as far as active Christian, you'd have to knock on a door every 15 minutes, eight hours a day, for a day and a half before you could find somebody who could tell you about Christ or give you a Bible, etc. But we are working, when I say that there are places that don't have access to the gospel, we are working in places where if you wanted to find out about Jesus, you'd have to knock on a door every 15 minutes for eight hours a day for 365 days a year for three years before you could find somebody who could tell you anything about Christ other than maybe that he was a Muslim prophet. Not everyone has access to this gospel, so this is why we do what we do. And, and, and one more interesting introductory point is that often the message of Jesus advances in the midst of opposition, that where there is pressure against the name of Jesus, somehow the message bursts forth. Recently, another one of those clandestine studies that was called a prophet study. They couldn't make it known that there was a Bible study, but it was called a prophet study in a Muslim context. And uh, one of the men came up afterwards and said to our worker, is there a book that I could read about this prophet Jesus? Actually, there is. Would you like a copy? And so he was given a copy of the New Testament, and suddenly the man realized that he had contraband in his hand, that he had something very dangerous. He, he took it home and hid it under the mattress of his bed, didn't let anybody in his family know that he had it, but every time the family was gone, he, he just devoured the New Testament. One day he came back very sad to the prophet study. What's the matter? My mother discovered the book under my mattress, and she was exceedingly angry with me and ripped it to shreds. I no longer have that book you gave me. And then his eyes brightened up, and he said, but wait a minute, you have a copy of it, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I do. Could, I, could we study yours together? Yes, we certainly could. The gospel often advances in the midst of opposition. I want to talk more about that this morning. If you have a Bible and want to turn with me to Acts chapter 1, I want us to take a look at the book of Acts very quickly, perhaps in a manner that you haven't seen it yet. And if you have, then you can just amen along with me and say, I beat you there, buddy. So, okay. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It gives us this, this launch to what the book of Acts is going to be about. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses. You will witness, testify for me in specific locations, Jerusalem, 
all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In, in Acts 1, you see in your outline, Jesus promises the power or the empowerment, and he gives us the assignment. Would, would God please spare us from try-harder Christianity? Because, because this passage tells us that there is a power available to us to live out the life that he's called us to live, that is a power beyond ourselves. And he gives us an assignment for what to do. And this assignment is is not an either-or kind of assignment. Well, either minister to your hometown, Castro Valley, or you be the kind of person that cares about your region, or you be the kind of person that cares about Samaria, people who are in close proximity to you but not of your same culture or language, or you be the kind of person that goes all the way to the ends of the earth. It's not an either-or assignment. Look closely at those words. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and Judea, and, and it's a both and, and, and assignment. Now, if I were to ask you as an individual Christian or an individual church to do really well, you guys do really well at reaching your town, your area, your, your, the people like you or, or that are close to you but not like you, and all the way be very strong with good missiological principles and reaching the world for Christ. If I were to ask that of any individual church, or Christian, I put a very heavy burden on you, huh? Oh, I can't do all that. But if I were to say join together with 2,000 other churches here in the States, which the Alliance family is, 2,000 other churches and 20,000 around the world, and join together with this family of churches, now, now this becomes achievable. That becomes something we can accomplish. So this both and, and, and assignment of Acts 1-8. Well, the question I have, here's what I want to look at Acts thinking. How did they do? I'm serious. And when Jesus gave them that command, how did they do? Did they, did they get on it or, or not? Well, let's look very quickly. Chapter 2, Jesus fulfills the promise. The Holy Spirit comes, and there is this powerful and dramatic moment when 3,000 people come to faith in Christ, and, and it's a tremendous story. But we get down to Acts 2, verse 46. And we find out that this church of 3,000, Acts 2.46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Where were the temple courts? Jerusalem. Right, right. So Acts 2 is happening in Jerusalem, and by the end of Acts 2, every day they're still in Jerusalem. Okay, Jesus said, go Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts. Well, so far they're doing fine with Jerusalem. Okay, good. We get to chapter 3. And, oh, this is exciting because it's not only Jesus that heals. Now the early disciples, they, they heal this, this crippled guy that evidently Jesus had walked right past for the years that he went to the temple because the guy had been there the whole time. And that creates another great sermon from Peter who says to them, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. There's a good Easter message. You killed him, but God raised him. But all that happens right there in Jerusalem. Because they're still at the temple, okay? Chapter 4. Ooh, now it starts to get a little more tense because uh, the religious leaders that killed Jesus now don't like what Peter and John and the guys are doing. But all of this, chapter 4, happens in Jerusalem. Chapter 5. Ooh, now the trouble gets to the church. It's only a matter of time when somebody in the church is going to cause trouble, right, Pastor? Larry? Oh, don't answer that, Pastor. <clears throat> but chapter 5, they're still... In Jerusalem. Chapter 6, 
the leadership team decides, we need more help. This is crazy. We need to mobilize more within the body to serve us, uh, serve Christ in, in Jerusalem. <laughs> Chapter 7, Stephen, the first Christian martyr, the first one to die for the faith. Beautiful and gut-wrenching story, Chapter 7. Guess where? <laughs> in Jerusalem. We have to get all the way to chapter 8 until we read this. Chapter 8, verse 1. You guys are my favorite. I hear pages turning. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> chapter 8, verse 1. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Look at there. For the first time since 1-8, in 8-1, we read Judea and Samaria. Because of the persecution that broke out, people are fleeing, and as they flee, verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Aha! We're finally getting there. Jesus said, go to Judea and Samaria. Now in Acts 8.1, approximately three years later, some scholars would estimate, <laughs> they are finally now getting out of town and taking the gospel. And just to finish this thought, would you turn one more time, chapter 11, And now people did it even louder. They're page turning. I like you guys. Good. Good. Chapter 11, verse 19. 11, 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen. Does that sound familiar? Well, that's what we just read there in 7 and 8. Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch. At first, they only preached the Jews, then they preached to everybody. And by now, we are finally, 11 chapters into the book, we're finally getting to the ends of the earth or beginning to make progress that direction. What the church, what Christ's followers were unwilling to do in a time of prosperity, they finally do in a time of opposition. Opposition became the opportunity for the gospel to advance. Is that not fascinating? Opposition, when the church is trying to be crushed by political and religious powers, does that sound familiar? When religious and political powers are trying to crush the church, opening chapters of Acts, that becomes an opportunity for the church to fulfill the commission that was originally given. What I'm telling you today is not only the story of Acts, what I'm telling you today is the story of today. I watch the same headlines you guys watch, and I get depressed too. Hmm. ISIS marching across the Middle East, Ebola marching across Africa, tensions between Russia and the Ukraine, tensions on the street of Ferguson. I mean, I'm just giving you some of the uh, headlines from the last 12 months, right? That's the bad news. The good news? In every one of those places that I mentioned, your family, the Alliance family, is present, bringing the gospel of Jesus in those places, and the gospel is advancing in those places, and 
many more. So let me show you a few pictures for a few moments of places in the world where the gospel is advancing in spite of opposition, various forms of, of opposition. Let me take us first to, um, well, 120 years ago, we started a camp meeting, and I just had to honor the fact that uh, we have this long, rich heritage of doing what we're doing. Let me start in the country of Senegal, where boys from some of the most unreached people groups of the world are sent to the capital city to be trained by the local Muslim imam at the mosque and learn how to read the Arabic Quran and to uh, learn from the imam. But instead of much education, what he sends them out to do is to beg on the streets with these tomato cans. Uh, and they are known throughout West Africa as the tomato can boys. If you're stopped at a red light and have a boy come up to you with a tomato can begging for money, you know that he's from the mosque and the imam has sent him out to, to beg. So they're not getting great education, and, um, but we come alongside and uh, have started a community center to reach out to these boys. Uh, and here it is in its completed form with a soccer field on top, a tiny little place for them to kick a ball, where there's uh, vocational training, spiritual training, and opportunity for them to come to know Christ. It's not just boys who are reaching out to in Senegal. It's the women, too. The local proverb is this. Educating a woman is like watering another man's garden. You follow? Why would I as a dad want to give pay to have my daughter educated when she's just going to go off and marry some other guy and I lose all of that wealth because it'll go into another family? Educating a woman is like watering another man's garden. So the, lit the literacy rate in Senegal for women is exceedingly low and opportunities for personal advancement is exceedingly low. And so we've come alongside to, to, to teach and to bring the name of Jesus and to bring the love of the gospel and, and teach some local trade skills uh, and, and so that there can be some income produced. That's just one example of what's taking place throughout Africa where there is a, a rapid growth of the church taking place. Your sister churches in Africa are being very evangelistic in reaching out to the communities around them, villages, and bringing the gospel of Jesus to places where he's not yet known. And by the dozens, villages are turning from their uh, animistic worship of the spirits and turning to faith in the true God and uh, joining together in churches. Uh, 48 new churches have been planted in one region of, of West Africa alone just in the last few years, a, a rapid spread. I need to pause for a moment and tell you Moise's story. Moise, uh, uh, from Guinea, I'm marching through some of the countries of Africa. Moise, grew up in a home where they worshiped the spirits. They had in their courtyard a sacred tree that they believed that the uh, spirits lived in that tree. And when Moise was a teenager, he was sent out into the jungles for an initiation ceremony to the demonic world. He became an adult, got a job driving truck, making $70 a month, which wasn't bad for his part of the world. And he would bring $12 home to give to his wife. And with the rest, every month he would go out and purchase alcohol and prostitutes. 
And if he didn't have a place to take his prostitute, that he would bring her home to their one-bedroom hut where his wife would have to witness his behavior. That was Moise's life. Until, through an Alliance missionary, he heard about the true Jesus and forgiveness and new life. And he gave his heart to the Lord. And his father was furious, especially when Moise came home and cut down the family sacred tree in the courtyard as a, a defiant act against the spirits because he now knew he had the true power and life of Jesus. His father was so angry and soon afterwards, Moise came down with a mysterious illness that left him in a wheelbarrow where his brother had to haul him to his dad's house in a wheelbarrow because he couldn't walk there. And his dad said, see, this is what happens when you turn from the family spirits. Turn back to the spirits. And, and Moise, Moise said, even if this kills me, I'm going to follow Christ. Well, God raised him up. He was restored to health. And Moise became an alliance pastor, serving uh, in a church, and then became an alliance district superintendent. That means he oversaw a number of churches in his language group. And because dentistry was not developed well in their part of the country, he learned how to pull teeth. Pastor Larry, don't get any ideas, okay? Just, just, just be content with your call. You don't need to be, but anyway. So he, he became a part-time dentist as well, just helping the, the villages. Well, Ebola last year comes marching through their part of the world in Guinea. And so as a person who loves his people, he formed a team, and, and Moise went from village to village educating the people, so many rumors and misunderstandings of how the disease spread and lots of cultural problems of people being ostracized. And, and so they came in, they'd meet with the village leaders, get permission to, to address the community. They'd form a gathering and then give Ebola education. They were going from village to village. Well, I am saddened to tell you that in one of those villages late last year, a mob formed of thugs with some very crude weapons and attacked Moise and his team without cause. And um, Moise became the first martyr of my era as president of the Alliance. They have five children, all grown. One is in Bible college. Uh, the church, as I understand, is taking care of Moise's wife. And she is just asked if she could return to that village when the tension settles down to offer the grace and forgiveness and love of Jesus to her husband's murderers. That's the gospel. The gospel that is advancing in spite of opposition. Here's dentist Moise pulling some teeth and here they are out on a Ebola training session just very short time before he lost his life. Let me take you to the country of Mongolia very quickly where we have been. We, you, you couldn't send missionaries to Mongolia 20 years ago, but now there, we have teams there. Dozens of churches have been planted. And now we have gone from the city to some of the hinterland, 24-hour rugged drive. 
out toward the Tibetan border, if I got my geography right. And, and Larry and his family are there loving Jesus. And in Mongolia, one way to bring Christ is through physical fitness and wrestling. Mongolians love to wrestle. Well, this is perfectly suited for Larry and his CrossFit kind of background. And so, uh, but recently, late last year, uh, while they were having a class, Larry got jumped from behind by a, a guy that he was trying to reach out to. The man nailed him, flying tackle, drove him into the concrete while he was saying, why didn't your God protect you from that? A direct, defiant opposition, not just to Larry, but, but, but to the whole idea of the gospel, being a power that, that, that changes lives. Why didn't your God protect you from that? Wham! Nailed him and destroyed Larry's shoulder so badly. He's got to have shoulder surgery, or he just did have it. But, but um, Larry <laughs> was laying in a, you know, 24 hours later, was laying just trying to recuperate a little bit, and the friends of this attacker brought him in to stand at Larry's bedside, fully expecting Larry to give the culturally appropriate, when I get out of this bed, I'm going to rip you to shreds kind of speech. <laughs> and instead, Larry offers him forgiveness and love, being a living example of the grace of Jesus Christ. The gospel advancing in spite of various forms of opposition. One of those forms comes sometimes, sometimes from religious sectors where various religious groups are not excited about this idea of the evangelical gospel going forward. But recently in Italy, there was a fabulous baptism service, including this woman who had moved in with her boyfriend who was a Satan worshiper, and there were such demonic manifestations in their home that it scared her to death. She ran, of all things, to the evangelical missionary, something that was forbidden by her family, but she knew she needed help, and there she came to know Christ and has, was baptized late last year. This is my church where I attend in Colorado Springs. Not, not the family dollar store, but, but the church right next to it. Uh, the Christian Missionary Alliance is in 37 languages in the United States. Just around you right here, there's Chinese and Vietnamese and uh, other languages represented in Alliance churches. The local police, what form of opposition did you have in Colorado Springs? Well, addictions. Um, the, the whole idea that uh, the whole area was, was kind of uh, under alcohol and drug use so bad the police have thanked us a few years after we came in that alcohol and, uh, well, that the crime has gone down by 60% in the region since the church has entered. Very vibrant expression. You have a sister church on the streets there in Ferguson era, area, preaching, calling the people of peace. This is Pastor Mike, one of our brothers. Uh, I'm so proud of Pastor Mike and the Destiny Church family. As uh, they've been calling for reconciliation and being a place of hope and, and peace in the midst of that troubled city. And then taking you very quickly all the way to the Syrian refugees. You have 17 or 18 sister churches in Syria. Imagine if half of your congregation no longer even lived in the United States but had to flee to Canada of all places or somewhere to, for, for, for your lives. Half have stayed, not because they wanted to, but because they were too poor to leave. 
yet your church is just as full today as it was two years ago because of all the new people that have come to find out about this Christ. That's exactly the story that's taking place in Syria right now. The Sunday before Christmas, one of the churches there ordained three more men into ministry and baptized 20 people into the name of Christ, the gospel going forward in spite of opposition. But for the refugees that have spilled over into other countries, often fleeing with, with uh, losing people en route or only coming with what they could carry on their back, um, we have a church just across the border on the Jordanian side, a congregation of 85 people that have been there for 70 years preaching Jesus, loving Jesus in this Muslim context, but very faithful to But they were praying, Lord, give us more opportunities to reach people for Christ. Well, as the Civil War breaks out in Syria, they are the first city across the border and... Your sister church has now had hundreds of thousands of people pass through their town, and many of them stay there. And so the pastor and the church have been, have, have been able to add on, thanks to help from, from the Alliance family, and uh, they've been able to start a school for the Syrian kids who have not been had a school access available to them. The uh, Jordanian schools couldn't hold uh, handle all the influx of new students, so we've started a school for the Syrian kids that some of them had never been to school, and distributing supplies. Now, I need to say this. I want to say it kindly, but I, I want to say this, that, that missions done poorly doesn't understand the local context well enough to do missions well. So, true story, an American relief agency raises money from nice people like us to buy mattresses to give to people who are sleeping, refugees who are sleeping on concrete floors, okay? But they don't know the language or culture or have a distribution system, so they pull up with mattresses, a mass of boys and men rush the truck, pushing women and children aside, take all the mattresses, and later that week, those mattresses are for sale down at a local store. Now, that's missions done poorly. <laughs> missions done well, incarnationally, lives among the people, knows the culture, knows the language, and has built a local church that actually can serve. So we distribute mattresses, too. I, there, here's pictures of it right here. We distribute mattresses. But... And, and other supplies uh, coming into these homes where the refugees have nothing but a blanket and, uh, and uh, you know, a few small things that they've gathered. And so space heaters and mattresses and pillows and, and food, and dis but, but distributed one family at a time in a manner where you can hear their story, where you can develop relationship. And so that little church of 85 people now with help from folks like us that have come in and gifts, um, they have ministered to 4,500 families in these last couple of years in the name of Jesus, showing the love of Christ in a manner that builds dignity. The, uh, the other problem of, of like the mass distribution things, these, 
Poor refugees have, have already lost their homeland, lost their finance, lost dignity in so many ways, and now they have to get in a really long line and stand behind a truck and haul, walk through the city streets carrying their own mattress with as, as like a big flag that says, I'm a refugee. I'm No, no, let's take the stuff to them and, and let their little boys carry way too much. <laughs> oh, I love that picture. Friends, what I'm simply trying to say to us today is two things. One, there are places in this world where the only way that they have access to the gospel is if somebody comes from the outside. And often those places are oppressive. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is advancing today. <laughs> you... I didn't come here to raise money. I really didn't. I didn't even know that Pastor Larry was going to take an offering afterwards. That was brand new news to me when I was sitting there, and I heard it for the first time when you heard it. But, but you know, and some of us are in investments, uh, some of us poorly, some of you more <laughs> wisely. But we, we might have an individual investment in a stock. It's a good thing. Um, but what's, what the Great Commission Fund is like a mutual fund for missions. What do I mean by that? What I mean is, if you've given to the Great Commission Fund, you are part of every story that I've told today. You don't just have to pick one and like, ooh, that, that's cool. Well, you can if you want. If you want to have an individual investment, you can, but, but you're part of every story that I've told today and, and a thousand stories that I haven't been able to tell today of the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ in, in very difficult places. So, Today, our team, 82% of our workers are in these least reached places. There are still, and I'll make this the last slide and we can come back to the, uh, come back to the lights. There are still 4,075 unreached peoples in this world. 4,075 peoples that don't have a church the Bible, access to the gospel. The Alliance is curr currently working with 70 of those peoples and have our hearts and eyes set on many more. You're part of that. I want to thank you for that. I want to celebrate that. And some of you are going to crucify me if I don't finish the outline. Because <laughs> you have... You have a pen out, and there's an empty blank, and that's just not going to set well with you. So can I give you some application points as I have four minutes left? Number one is this. Church, start right where you are, but don't get stuck there. Start right where you are. Enter and bless. You're in a Walmart line. Make it a better line the 90 seconds that you're there, okay? Enter and bless. Start where you are. Start right here in your Castro Valley, Jerusalem, but don't get stuck there. Number two, when God's people get it right, the whole world wins. When God's people get it wrong, when we stay self-focused, the whole world loses. Across the globe, there are people joyfully gathered in worship today because of investment from this church through the decades. 
you really can reach the world from Castro Valley, California. You are proving that, church. I commend you for that. When God's people get it right, the whole world wins. Number three, but we must take seriously this access divide. It is very tempting, the access divide. It's very tempting to keep going back and back and back to the places that are fun to go to where the gospel is advanced, but, but eventually those churches shouldn't just always be on the receiving end. They should be on the sending end. And so now 21 of the nations that we have planted church in through the, throughout the last 100 years, they're now missionary sending churches. We're no longer sending missionaries to them. Now they're sending missionaries. That's, that's when you know a church is fully graduated and arrived. So we then reposition, as you saw, 82% of our people to go to that next unreached area where they don't have access to the gospel. And you see the last point there. Let me close with a very odd illustration, but I'll tell you why I'm closing with it. Have you been to a high school or college graduation ceremony in the last 20 years? Have you? Okay. My guess is we've all heard the same speech. Didn't matter where it was, what part of the country, we all heard the same speech. I can give it to you in 20 seconds. See if you've heard this before. Students, you have an unlimited reservoir of human potential within you. To accomplish any dream, to overcome any obstacle, all you must do is believe in yourself, dig deeply within yourself, and you can accomplish anything in this world. Go, students. You've heard that speech? Well, how's that working for you, America? I'm serious. That, that human potential speech, maybe at 18 or in your 20s graduating from college, you think you have an unlimited reservoir of human potential. But about age 35 or so, you're going to wake up tired. Right, Mark? <laughs> and and you're going you're gonna to look and, and you're going to think, bummer. <laughs> If all I have is what I find in here, I'm in trouble. And I want to announce to America, yes, officially you are in trouble, both in this life and the life to come, if all you have is what you find in yourself. But those of us who become followers of Jesus Christ have a completely different message. To overcome an obstacle, to accomplish a dream, it's not about me digging deeper, looking inside myself, trying to pull one more ounce of energy. No, 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 no. I have given the allegiance of my life to someone else. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I have a Lord. I have a master. I have a king. I am indwelt by the Spirit of God. I am so happy to be a follower of Jesus. I'm so happy to not face life's obstacles on my own. As I spent 77 days in that hospital bed and was diagnosed with nothing. They didn't, they didn't know what it was, and I walked out of the hospital. I didn't know. Correction. I was wheeled out of the hospital having lost 50 pounds of muscle mass and the, unable to eat or drink and was left in the care of my wife. I'll tell you that story in the next hour. To face life's challenges, to face a deathbed, or to face any day that I can get out of bed, I am so glad that I have a Lord. I'm glad to be forgiven. I'm glad to have eternal life. I don't want to do life alone. I want to do it with my king, and I want to do all eternity with my king. The gospel of Jesus Christ changes lives. I'm grateful to be a recipient, but we cannot keep that to ourselves. It's a message that must be shared 
in your Jerusalem. Do it here in Castro Valley. Your Judea, the surrounding Bay Area, Samaria, people that are like in proximity to you but not like you culturally, and all the way to the Tunisias and Jordans and Syrias and Iraqs of this world. God bless you, church. God is using this church. I'm so grateful to have been with you today. God's peace to you.